You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. Hey, friends. Hey, I, I'm uh, really excited today to introduce you to Matt Thomas. I met Matt last year, and uh, just it was a profound experience meeting Matt for a couple of reasons. Uh, he's had quite a life. He's, he's had a lot of challenges. He's done some time. But uh, he really met Jesus in jail, in prison, and that transformed him. And what got me really excited about Matt is he then really stewarded his own pain, his own story, and began this remarkable ministry of planting uh, uh, churches in prison. And you know, what's unique about Matt is he is partnering with very mainstream church planning organizations. Uh, Those of you who know Stadia, one of the most established church planning organizations in the country, uh, World Impact is partnering with Matt. I just recently had Dr. Alvin Sanders on the show and Matt's a World Impact guy. But what sets him apart is he's actually training prisoners to become pastors, like actual ordained pastors so that when they get out of prison, they can get jobs in churches. You know, when I heard that, I thought, all right, I'd like to have Matt on the show. Matt wrote a book about his own journey, and he's actively now working on uh, planting churches, not just in prisons, but as uh, inmates get out of prison. He has a whole follow-up with affordable housing. So, man, he just started pushing some of my buttons. I think most of my listeners know that I am I do a lot of work with affordable housing in our city. Uh, our, our church takes an active role in not charity, but actually systemic injustice is a big piece for us. And uh, Matt's in that whole field. So Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Steve. I'm glad to be here. Well, just tell us a bit about yourself, Matt. I know probably most of my listeners probably aren't familiar with you. So just give us a, a, a bit of a biography and let us know who you are. So uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a director. I mean, more than anything, though, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband and a father. I, uh, I, you know, my life was not easy growing up. My, I was born into a family where there was a lot of addiction and a lot of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that led to a path in my life where I where I started getting in trouble at a young age. I started really breaking the law at a young age. Ended up spending a lot of my teenage years inside of a boys' farm. I actually spent just about two and a half years inside of that, and got out. Didn't know how to live, and and unfortunately, I had already started a drug addiction about the time I was thirteen. And so, of course, that spiraled out of control as I got older. Um, led me. You know, I ended up getting married, was doing real good for a little bit, joined the Navy, but then moved to San Diego, which was back in California. And it just so happened that one of our neighbors in naval housing was a drug addict. And I ended up getting high again and and it just slowly declined from there, ended up getting out of the Navy. By then I had two daughters and a wife and me and my wife were separated and it was just really bad. I mean, my life was just unmanageable and out of control. And then not soon after our divorce was finalized, she took the kids and left to Kansas. I, I was living in Arizona. And then just not too long after that, my, my, my dad got murdered out in Southern California um, using drugs with a girl inside of a bathroom. And her boyfriend woke up and, and, you know, beat my dad up and put him in a coma. And he died a week later in the hospital. And so that was around 2002. And that's when my life <laughs> went just completely unmanageable. I ended up going to prison in Arizona. I ended up getting three years for five different felonies. And 
And honestly, Steve, that was the best thing that probably could have ever happened to me because the boys, the boys ranch I went to was extremely strict, independent, fundamental. And, and so like there was this groundwork of Bible that was just in that, that I had memorized that I didn't know what to do with. But then the Holy Spirit really came through when I was when I was on my way to prison from jail. And it was and it was one of those amazing things that, you know, he, he used a guy that was affiliated with a, a prison gang to change my whole direction in life, which was really odd because the guy was actually my drug dealer. And he, he told me, he said, man, do your prison time, get out, be a be a dad to your kids. Don't waste your time with this. You know, and, and this is a guy that was a career criminal. I mean, le- legitimate career criminal, 50 something years old, been in prison almost his whole life. And and so I knew that that was a 100 percent God speaking to me about, about my life's choices. And so I I, I did. I, I got to the prison yard, put my nose in a Bible. We ended up planting a church on the prison yard, which was really odd because none of us grew up in a church. And so there was like one of us. Art back was the only one that grew up in a church. And, and we had 20%, we had 70 people coming to church on a 420 person yard. That, and, and I mean, like three times a week, the Holy Spirit was moving. It was, I mean, it was beautiful. And it was, you know, and it took a racist segregated prison and made it to where we could sit and eat together and talk and fellowship without worrying about something bad happening to us. And so it was, it was a really, it was a really amazing experience, of course. And then I got out and, and unfortunately I got with a girl that was not healthy and I relapsed on some prescription drugs. And then God had to use a series of, of hard events in my life to get me to surrender. And, you know, I, I met a girl that was actually my fiance when I went to prison. We, we were hanging out and she, you know, we weren't living right. She ended up getting pregnant and and, and we, we almost lost a child and, and I knew it was, it was my moment with God to, to really get attention on, on what he called me to do that I just didn't want to do. And, and so that was about two, 2011. And, and when that happened, I just dove headlong into what God wanted from me. And, you know, I was, I was working third shift doing maintenance at the church I went to, and I was just immersing myself in in Bible and teachings and pray. I mean, just, just anything I could get my hands on. Uh, and so through that, we started firm foundations ministries, which is the housing program that I'm the director of. And, and then soon after we, we started working and planting a church. There was, there were some graduates of the urban ministry Institute that, that is a seminary level training, but, but offered in the prison setting and, and in the urban environment. And, Two of the guys said, Hey, we want to plant a church. And so, so they talked to one of their wives to talk to my wife to ask me, right? Cause that's the prison chain is, is how to get it out. <laughs> and, and, and they were like, do you want to be, you know, would your husband want to pastor a church? And, and at first I was like, no, that's, that's, that's not what God called me to do. Right. And, and, and truth be told, I was absolutely wrong. <laughs> and, and it is what God called me to do. And so we ended up planting two churches simultaneously on two different yards of one compound. So there was a minimum and a medium. And so the two guys were at one and then one of them transferred 
And so we ended up planting two churches through the year. So we would get to one, do the service. And right about the end of the service, we would skip over to about two miles away to the next complex or to the next prison yard and start church there. And so we did that faithfully every Sunday for about a year. And and so we we planted. To, and, and this is a church where where, you know, I was the pastor, but really I was the facilitator because our whole mission was to empower them to be the pastors and them to be the worship leaders and them. And so, so that's what we did. And then, and then I ended up getting a job offer and I moved about three hours North to Kansas city. And then we planted some more churches inside the prison and we got more houses with firm foundations. And so now I think now we're sitting at four churches that are inside two different prisons. We have one church on the outside with the leaders we empowered inside and we're actually looking at uh, purchasing a building in, in Wyandotte County in Kansas City and having a training ground set up because it's got housing and a church in the same building to where we train leaders that are coming out of prison that have started inside and, and giving them a great landing spot to jump in, learn how to serve and grow. And then and then just keep that cycle going where we become a sending position for 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 men and women to come out and then become who they're who they're called to be. Yeah, so Matt, there, there's so much just in your story that I think for leaders is fascinating. So, you know, obviously this podcast features anxiety and and the garden variety anxiety we talk about is chronic anxiety, which is a based on false need, like the need to be liked, the need to yeah. get it right. But you actually in your narrative have uncovered not just chronic anxiety, also acute anxiety like Prison is actually a life and death situation. Yep. You've also uncovered PTSD, a, a trauma, your dad's murder. Um, talk, just talk to us about your understanding of what is it like to deal with multiple forms of anxiety uh, as you, you know, continue to pursue health for yourself. So, I, so it's funny that you say that, but I, but I actually take medication daily for anxiety. Be, I mean, because because of my childhood, because of, I mean, I'm sure prison and drugs and all that, you know, because it is, it's multi-layered. So, so for me, you know, I, I have to balance where I'm at with what the truth is consistently because, because I will set up my own narrative in my head. And, and, and I really didn't realize this. I mean, I knew I, you know, I needed some medication to help kind of level out the anxiety because my highs are really high and my lows are really, really low. But but part of it is is when I started counseling, my wife and I started counseling about a year ago and we, we did it for about six months. But but I had no idea how, you know, my my life and the way I thought actually was a was a blessing in, in the environment that I was in. Right. Because it was, you know, my dad used to tell me when he was alive, he's, you know, the first time I went to court, he said, you got to expect the worst and hope for the best. And this became this became my mantra, my way to think. So every situation I was in, you know, and, and of course, carrying a gun around in and out of drug houses, robbing people, doing these things. Um, it's, it's, it's okay. Where, where's the problems? Where's the issue? You know what I mean? And always, and, and so I was on this hypervigilance, which is also PTSD, but I lived in hypervigilance. I lived in hypervigilance at home because, because of the addiction and, and, and all the fighting and the craziness that would happen. And so, so, when all that was taken away and I had a normal quote unquote, normal life, I didn't know how to function because, 
because I would constantly look for what's about to happen and what's about to fall apart. And, you know, maybe my wife's just going to run out on me because she really doesn't love me. Or maybe, you know, my kids don't like me because I was a jerk. I mean, there was there was all these things. Well, I'm about to get fired from my job anyway, because I'm really, a, you know what I mean? There was there's yep. this false narrative that runs through my head consistently. And so my buddy Andrew would always tell me, he'd say, bro, are you telling yourself the truth today? Right. And, and those words, they hold a deeper meaning than just, to, but it, it's the reality is, is no, my wife's not going to leave me. You know what I mean? No, no, I'm, I'm not doing anything that's going to get me fired from the job I do. No, I'm, I'm not living two lives. To, I, I mean, it, but, but I have to, I have to constantly not only tell myself that I have to take my medication, but on the flip side, I have to have anchor points in my life of people that I can have open communication with to be able to say, Hey, man, this is where my brain's at and, and be honest, right? Cause that's, I think that's the biggest problem is we don't like to be honest about, man, I'm, I'm kind of really jacked up here. And, and, yeah. and so, so if, if I do those things on the daily, then it helps me stay, stay focused and grounded in where I'm supposed to be to where it becomes a manageable anxiety. Yeah. I, I do think you've, you've, laid something out for us there that it's like we all want to be past tense human, not pre- present tense. Like yeah. we all want to have outgrown our struggles. I'm curious, Matt, when you first started to identify the story you tell yourself, that that narrative, what was helpful? How, like everyone I think goes through a journey where for the first time in their life, they realize the way I see myself and the way I see my the world is false. Tell us about that moment for you. So I, I'll get a little, I'll, I'll get a little deep into it. Um, I was abused as a kid, and there was a lot of, you know, there was some sexual abuse and some things. And so, when I had my first son, Hunter, um, I had, I have older girls and I have grandkids, but, but when I had my first boy, um, there was something internal that I didn't even realize was there until I had this kid, right? Because what it did was it pulled this garbage that was buried super deep from my childhood that, that caused me to have my first panic attack, which I didn't even know what was going on. I, th- I mean, I thought I had the flu. I thought, you know, I went like literally went to the emergency room and was like, Hey, I feel like electricity shooting through me. My knees are kind of shaky. My feet are twitchy. I, my heart's about, you know what I mean? I, I don't know what's happening. And, and it was, and it was all of that stuff coming to the surface. And so, so I, I, I honestly thought, right. So, so with the abuse thing, I honestly thought that, you know, man, man, did, did I miss something? Did I forget something? And, and really it was all that pent up stuff that had been buried with drug addiction for years that came up. And so in my head, I would say, well, you're no better than your dad. You know what I mean? You, you, you did this and you, and so what helped for me was, was being honest with the people. Like, so my girls, my, when my girls were old enough, I said, Hey, was I ever, you know what I mean? Weird or any, I mean, just, just open honesty. Was I, and they were like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I was like, okay. And then, and then my wife, you know, my wife's got a, a funny, but not so funny, different picture of me because she knew me at my worst. I mean, my absolute in the streets, Robin, I mean, worst. And, and, she, and she would be able to say, Hey, that was never you. Mm. And, and so, so she has been, she has been my anchor point in the majority of the storms that have happened. And so that's kind of what keeps me locked in is, is my wife's not afraid to tell me that I'm getting out there, 
Right. And so, and so, so it's, it's that thing of, of, and so I had to work through a lot of that with counseling and good friends and medication, but it's, it's, it's that, okay, this, the only way I'm going to know to start telling myself the truth is, is I can feel it in my chest when it starts to happen. And I, I mean, I can, I, my breath will get short. I'll start having, you know what I mean? I'll start getting kind of nervous. And, and then I, I talk to my wife and say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. And, and it used to be, I would retreat <laughs> and, and just, and stop talking and not even realize that I had, that I had like removed myself from the room, you know, mentally and emotionally, physically, I was still there, but, but I was. And so now instead of hitting that point, I just right off the bat, when I start feeling, Hey, Hey babe, this is, this is where I'm at. Is this, you know, is this true? Is this, and, and, and she'll walk me back through where I'm at, what I'm doing. And, and she helps me really kind of work through it. I, I just have so much respect for people who are chasing health. And that, that's what I'm hearing from you, Matt, is, is a lot of people I work with, they want to graduate from anxiety as quick as they can. And particularly trauma, when people have been traumatized, maybe they'll go to a counselor once and then they'll say, okay, well, I did that. And and I just think you've given us actually a much more healthy picture of the ongoing daily battle and that the battle's worth it. Um, I, I love, you've really modeled for us like the way your ability to externalize and name it, get it out of your head. Um, before we jump into your actual work, because I think there's also a lot of healing when when you are going, when you are now leading and building, that also puts you in the control seat with anxiety. Um, tell us about the boys' farm. I used to work on something very similar to that, where kids would be shipped off for several years. The place I yeah. worked. What was your take as a student there? Was that beneficial? Was it rough? So I would say it was both. And, and, and the reason I say that, so it's kind of funny. The school I actually went through um, is going through a bunch of stuff right now with with some with the news and some stuff because some boys had left and said they were they were mean to me. You know what I mean? And and yeah. And like, and may, maybe this is the dysfunctional side of my life, right? When, when I look at it, I'm like, you know what? This, this, I mean, it was rough, but, but everything that they did, I mean, as I got older, I understood why they did it. Now, do I think they took it too far? Absolutely. Because they didn't know what they were doing either. Right. But this is kind of the, the place I had to hit with that. Now, now it, it was, it was absolutely hard because I was away from my family. And even as, even as, if with a dysfunctional family, that's still your family. Um, you know, so, so that was hard. They were, they were real strict on the King James Bible and, and there was no music allowed unless it was, you know, praise and worship music that came from the hymn. And, and, and I mean, so it was like, and so two things happened, right? I, I stink and hated it when, when I was there, but, mm -hmm. but after a while, you know, I, I got to graduate high school, which was a huge deal because because I dropped out the day before the day before I got sent there. I dropped out of high school. So I, I got to graduate with a real high school diploma. Um, I got to stay and actually pay my way through the rest of it. So my mom wouldn't have to pay anymore. So I could graduate, you know, so mm -hmm. so that was a good thing. Um, I, I have a good friend named Robert who was in the school with me, who who is a long life. You know what I mean? So there's there's lots of good and, and really the memorization of the word of God has been monumental in the success of my life now. And, and so, 
so it, it, I mean, honestly, it was hard. You can't put a bunch of kids together that, you know, and this was, this was 1993 to 1990, you know, five. And, and, and let's be honest, it was, it was a different time and, and kids were a little tougher and you know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. I mean, it was just different. It was, it, you know, we would go out and fist fight and, and it was, I'm not saying it's right, but, but, but that's, you know, that kind of shaped me to where I think it, it you know, they talk about grit and, and I think it's, it's, it kind of built that in me to where, to where I, I got the word of God, but it also helped me, man, get through prison, get through jails, get through homelessness, get, through, you know what I mean? And, and it helped to be able to, to do that. So, so I'm, I'm super thankful it was, it wasn't an easy experience. It, it was, I mean, it was night and day and, but, but it, it honestly, in the long run, it helped me become who, who I am today. And so I'm, I'm thankful for it. That's really good. All right, Matt. So, you know, one of my initial impressions of you is you're a gifted entrepreneur, not just a pastor, but your capacity to have a vision, communicate it, get people on board. And and what I would say about you is you seem to recreationally enjoy starting very difficult things. Um, yes, yes. Uh, as, <laughs> as somebody who's worked in affordable housing, holy smokes, it's a tough field. And you saw the need, prisoners getting out, but then also planting churches inside prisoners, training prisoners into ministry for, for that long game, right? Like the whole recidivism rate, the whole idea yep. that the overwhelming majority of inmates are going to be out one day. And what kind of neighbor do you want if an inmate's going to be your neighbor? Let's, yep. let's get that work now. I love all of that. Um, how do you, you know, the, the work you do is overwhelming in its scope. There's so much need. How do you stay focused? How do you celebrate progress? Man, that's those are two great questions, and I don't know if I can. <laughs> so, so focus is a funny thing. Um, and, and and you know, on when we get to the gauntlet later, we'll we'll talk about that. But 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 for me, um, have you ever watched a a cat and a laser pointer? I'm afraid that's, I have. That's yeah. that's me when it comes to and when it comes because so like. Like I, I look forward and, and I, I know that the only way for there to be lasting change in a prison setting and a community, right? Because the community and the prison are tied hand in hand. Yeah. So most, most of the urban communities that are, that are impoverished and hurting, they are directly tied to whatever prison system is in that state. And so it, it it's understanding to me that, that, you know, we can, we can dump millions into the community but it's not going to change. It's, 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 and, and you can, you know, you can do Bible studies in prison and, and you might do some, but it's, it's, you have to attack both at the same time. But the only way you do that is by taking the toughest, most gangster guys that are in the prison and, and sharing with them Jesus and getting them to understand that there is more to life than the false narrative of gangs and money and, and power. And because once you do that, they don't have to say anything. The youngsters follow right after that. And so so that's my goal, right? My goal is to take, you know, the the ones that are deeply rooted in in prison gang culture and get them to see what God can do with them, because because that's the vision. Once that happens, the other things fall into place. And so that's that's what I stay focused on is is my time in an Arizona prison. So California, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, um, I would say even Colorado uh, are, are 
different types of prisons than your average prison. And the reason they are is because you have the Mexican mafia, you have the Aryan Brotherhood, you have you have these major, major prison gangs that run these these prison systems. And so the deal with that is it is segregated. Your your life is in a little more danger than than a lot of the unsegregated prison. It's just different. It's a it's a hypervigilant way to live, like like to where you know, they have specific rules that you follow. You don't bunk with other races. You don't, I mean, you don't eat with other races. You sit at a table, like for me, I would sit at a table full of, of white guys because there were, you know what I mean? That's just the way it was. And so, so what God did with Arizona was he gave me a look back at something that happened that should have never happened according to man's standards. And, and honestly, it happened in a setting to where it changed the lives of people who, who weren't even ready to get their lives changed. And so, so that's my, that's my vision piece. But then, so like in Kansas and Colorado or wherever I'm going to try to do this, that's, that's my target that I aim at. And so I know that if, if I do that, then this is going to change. And so that's how I stay focused because, because the demographic is rough to work with because the majority you don't have big wins. You know what I mean? You have big wins, but you don't have a lot of big wins. You have, yeah. you have, unfortunately, you have a lot of turning back to the way it used to be and old behavior. And so, so it, it gets discouraging, but God has never been not faithful in right at the right time, setting that one person in that, that's, that's just crushes it, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, okay. All this other stuff is, is sad, but this is why we do it right here. Yeah. I really like that. I, I used to work more overtly in crisis intervention. And I, I still do some now as a lead pastor. But to me, the survival was recognizing that if you get 10 to 20% success rate of people actually changing, that's like a A plus. Yep. And that so many people get into this kind of work because they want the good feeling of being part of life change. And then I, I think you really you really see who's in it for the right reasons by who's there for 20 years, you yeah. know, right? When you've been stomped, run over and, and you know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I think of someone like father Greg Boyle, you know, he, his whole idea is like, look, if you can't actually be friends with people you're trying to serve, get, get out now yeah. because that's really what it's about is actual long-term friendship relationship, yeah. not, not some kind of a program or I, I think that's a massive challenge. Yeah. Well, because it's that savior complex, you know, what I mean? and, and I hate to say it like that, but but the unfortunate side of people doing prison ministry is is what can I do to bless these men? Right. What can I do right. to, to share with them? And, and the truth is, I have never walked out of prison or that setting where I wasn't dumbfounded with holy smokes. God just wrecked. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. watching them and, and being part of a. So, so being part of a church service inside of a prison where, where all these men's lives are just, I mean, it's them and Jesus, right? They don't, they don't have a mask to put on because all their business is out there. They're, I mean, and it's just raw Jesus. And, and to me, that's, that's the ticket is when you realize that, that God moves with you through those experience, man, there, there's no turning your back on that. I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I could try to do something different. I don't think that would go over so well with God. I'm, I mean, just brutal honesty. And, and, and I don't think it would go over well with me because I would be, be in the wrong area. Matt, what would you say to somebody who's never done prison time and really wants to make a difference in the life of prisoners? 
uh, let's even say there may be a, a suburban person they're they're largely untouched by some of the challenges that you face in prison. What's the best next step for them? So I would say the best next step would be to find somebody that does it and just go for a ride. You know what I mean? Just just take a ride with them and and ask them to show you and to talk to you and ask them to meet some of the guys that you hang out with. Ask that you know what I mean? And and just just and just be yourself. Be, because I think the biggest misconception is well, well, I can't do prison ministry because I've never been in trouble. And it's like, well, well, you've got a better testimony than most of us because you've never gotten in trouble. You know what I mean? That's that's a big deal because I, I think that that we we downplay that for for a good feeling story when when we don't have to because that's that's God moving in itself. And and guys like me, so I'll tell you this: all my mentors right now, none of them have ever done prison time. I, I've got extremely wealthy businessmen. I've got prophets and pastors, you know what I mean? I've, I've got all, but none of them have, have touched a bit of prison time, but they, that bridge was broken down because we eat together. We pray together. We, you know what I mean? And we were family, but, and so that's, that's what happens is you find that person that can be the person of peace and then say, okay, I want to check this out and then be yourself. I promise if, if God's called you to do that, th- there's no turning back. You know, folks, all through 2021, uh, there is one gong, one symbol that I am just banging and crashing as I mix my metaphors. Banging this gong, crashing this symbol. Here it is. It's very simple. 2021 will not be different than 2020 if you're not different, if you don't do something different. You know, so many of you, uh, you, 2020 really was a challenge for you. I, I get it. It was one of my most challenging years as well. But if you don't do something different, if you don't dig deeper, Nothing in your life will be different. That's why I launched Capable Life this year. First three letters are capable, a C-A-P, which reminds us to be calm, aware, and present. Even as you've heard Matt, like he really beautifully talked to us about what it's like when you get spun up inside yourself. You no longer see what's true, but your capacity to be calm and aware and present to what's going on actually helps you see what's true, which also helps you see that God is with you this was one of the best lessons I learned when I was a trauma chaplain. Uh, you know, in those early days, I got so wrapped up in my own anxiety, I was no longer able to help people who were anxious. I was catching their anxiety. Uh, I was anxious and it was spilling over. And so Capable Life is all about tools to give you that you need to become aware and present. It's a safe community. You should see the online discussion forum, some really bold and beautiful things going on there. It's monthly Zooms. It's brief 10 minutes videos. You can visit www.capablelife.me to get more information about that. And with that, Matt, I invite you to brace yourself like a man as I inflict upon you in the most polite Aussie way possible, the gauntlet of anxiety questions. And number one, give us just one or two leadership situations that keep generating anxiety for you. You know, if you're getting into this situation, you're going to be anxious. So I, I would say this, you know, Coming from my background and the fact that I don't have a college degree and I didn't, 
you don't graduate high school outside of being locked up. And, and if I have to go sit in a meeting with a bunch of pastors and a bunch of, of business leaders that, you know, are accoladed and all the, I, I immediately start getting panicky and that voice kicks in of, of you're not good enough. And, and it's, you know what I mean? You don't have enough to say and, and they're automatically going to look at you and, you know, or, or in those situations when, you know, when we're talking about like putting together a, something to do an event or something and, 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 and the comment gets made, well, well, who are we going to get to, to speak at this? You know what I mean? It's like, and so, you know, rather than understanding that, Hey, the speaker, I mean, you know, it, it almost feels like, well, like I've made this whole mile, this, this, my whole life. And you know what I mean? Is, is my, <laughs> am I not good enough to speak on this? And yeah. so, so I think those are, those are a couple of the big ones that I walk into because it almost, it, it puts me in that feeling of, of less than. And, and so it, sometimes it's hard to work through. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, would you be willing to give us uh, one family trait that you've inherited that really helps your leadership and one that gets in the way? So I would say a, a family trait is, is I, I can work. I have a really great work ethic that comes from my mom and, you know, my grandpa and, and really all down my mom's side. And, and so it's, it's the not giving up thing. Right. And so regardless of whatever situation I was in, um, I, I, I never, I never gave up. And so even if I was sleeping in a laundromat, you know, with a loaded gun, cause I had no, no place to live. Uh, it was, I just, I would never get up and I would always find a way to hustle to be able to, to make sure that I, I at least wasn't dead in a ditch somewhere. And so that, that's a good one. The one that gets in the way is the lack of emotion and the lack of affirmation and affection because my mom, my mom never knew how to do that. My dad wasn't around. And so my mom is real. She'll get you what you need and, you know, and she'll, but, but she wouldn't show affection. And so I think, unfortunately, that translated with my girls to where my oldest girls, you know, 23, they're 23 and 21. I didn't know how to show them affection. I just knew how to be their friend and kind of be a cool dad. And so when I switched to try to be dad, I did a real horrible job of it. And, and I hurt, I hurt my relationship with my daughters really bad. And I mean, it's gotten better with my boys, but, but it's one of those that I constantly have to remind myself, man, hug your boys, love your boys, give them snuggles, wrestle with, you know what I mean? Because, because part of me, the, my, my, whatever you want to call it, instinctive is to be like, good job. Let me work. Let me support you. Let me get the house. You know what I mean? Let me do what you need to succeed. But, but it's that affection side that, that I really need to make sure that, that I, that I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually leads into the next question. I, I think one of the biggest challenges when you're a public leader is a lot of your mistakes are public and you have to live with them. Yeah. You've actually just beautifully kind of laid that out in your family. Uh, do you have a recent leadership mistake you've made? And what was it and how did you recover from it? So it's funny because this happened Monday. When I get focused on something, I, I, I am focused. I'm hyper vigilant focused. And, and that's, that's the visionary side of me where, where if I see it, I'm going after it. The unfortunate fact is that I'll pull the trigger sometimes before doing all the, all the odds and the ends and talking to my organization and you know what I mean? And doing all those things. And so what ends up happening is I get myself in trouble sometimes. So what happened was my, 
my Wichita team was talking to our operations director and they were joking. And, but when she told me about, you know, what they were talking about, and then my, my guy, Randy said something, it's, it peaked that insecurity in me to where I got mad. Cause it was like, like, Hey man, I'm trying my best. I know this isn't my strong suit, but that insecurity took in of I'm not doing good enough. And, and, and why would you hit me on? And, and so, so my, my brain, right. My good old anxiety brain flipped it around as you don't like my leadership style. You know, you know what I mean? Or, or something, or, or, or you, you go to, you go to, or you go to the operations person to get her to talk me into doing whatever you want. And, and so it was just all, I mean, it was just, it was, you know, it was, it was the Satan doing his little thing with anxiety. And, and so the way I fixed it was I called, I called my buddy down in Wichita. I said, Hey, is there a problem? Is there something going on? This, and I, I just was clear. This is, this is how I feel, you know, whether I'm wrong or right, this is just where I'm at. And so could you get some clarity for me on? And so we had talked it through. I apologized. He laughed because he understood. He goes, man, I, I get that. And then I called back the operations person. I said, Hey, this is where we're at. I apologize to you. This is, and, and, and talked about, and just was open and honest with, Hey, this is how I received it. Uh, it was wrong. And I'm sorry I received it that way. And the outcome was, you know, for seven years, uh, we didn't have a team. It was just kind of me hustling. And then we got to the point that we have this phenomenal team. But then, you know what I mean? And so it's it's the dynamic of of learning that with growth comes growing pains. And with growing pains comes, you know, some people getting their toes stepped on me and, and being able to say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. And, and so it was kind of neat because it really drew us closer as a team. And so it was a blessing. Yeah, that's great. What a great example. Matt, I think one of the pressures that Alita faces, particularly a preacher, is whenever you experience a gap between what you believe about God and what you experience from God, is there a gap between your belief and your experience with God? Yes. And and actually, this, this is completely applicable to what you and I started talking about, what was it, August or September? September, I think, when my wife and I came out to to Colorado. So when, so the example of this was was I had been praying, and I mean faithfully praying for sometimes over an hour a day for these things to happen with growth in in the state of Colorado and and some other stuff locally, right? Like like there was this house that we found, and 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 man, I got up in the mountains even by myself without my wife and prayed about it, and so, you know what I mean, and, and really felt. God speaking. And I mean, it was like, it, it was beautiful because it wasn't, it wasn't like your typical, you know, Hey, I just got this feeling. It was, I mean, it was that interior conversation with, with God that was just powerful, man. I came off the mountain, felt like Moses coming, you know what I mean? Down from Mount Sinai, but, but then everything fell apart and, and everything fell apart like horribly to where, you know, we know what happened with, with a certain church and this. And I mean, it all was really, and it was like, like, wait a minute, God. I, I don't understand. Like you, I, I mean, everything was clear. People that I talked to, you know what I mean? I mean, just everything. Like my wife and I, I and and it completely <laughs> just fell apart. And and it was like, you know, when we were talking about, you know, that was part of that was my salary to take care of my family the next year. And part of that, I mean, there was there was some some deeper things that were really that were really close to me that really and, and I believe, you know, sometimes I believe like a little kid where where it's just like, I, I know you're going to do it, God. 
And so then when, when all that fell apart, I mean, it, man, I kind of got depressed for a couple months and, and got down and my prayer life, my prayer life just kind of, I didn't say it went away, but it was, you know what I mean? There wasn't really any fervor or spirit in, in, and, and it was just, I, I just, I felt hurt. Now, now the outcome is, right? God, God is super faithful. And so the crazy thing is a church from California called and said, Hey, we want to support you and, and your salary for the next year, which was totally, I mean, it was just, it, it was beautiful how God did it. But so, yeah. So, so what I believe and what I experienced, you know, I believe that God was just going to boom, hit all these and he was good. And this was of God. But, but the truth was, it was of God, but but that would have been my way or somebody else's way, and they would have been able to take the credit for for what had happened, and and he did it his own way. And so I, I mean, I learned a lot through that. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. The final question is: When in your life do you feel most fully and completely loved? For me, that is when I get to see my team, my family, and everybody happy. I, I and I know that sounds weird, but but that's. But that's when I feel loved is, is, and, and, and I know there's a part of that dysfunction in there of, of, you know, trying to be the best you can. But, but I know, I know God really smiles down on me when my family's taken care of. And, and, you know, like my mom just moved in with me last week, you know, she spent some time in a hospital. And, and so I, I know that that's a special place in God's heart when we take care of our family and we take care of the people that, that we love whether they're family or friends. And so for me, making everybody just the best that I can or the best that God can, I think, is, is when I feel, that's when I feel the best. Folks, you're listening to Matt Thomas. Matt's a Stadia church planter. He works in affordable housing. His passion is to help prisoners not just find freedom, but move into leadership actually become pastors. It's a remarkable vision. It's happening. It's not just an idea. He actually has it going on. If you want to learn more about Matt, follow his work. Maybe you want to donate to what he's doing. Firmfoundationministries.org. We'll have a link in the show notes. Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your heart. This was a beautiful episode. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you. For more resources, visit stevecuswords.com or missyouallianceorg 